intention, no amount of good intentions can make the change that you say you want to make in your life. Until we get to a point that we find in Scripture in another familiar passage in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is not just a spiritual thing, but it's also a natural thing that works within our life. That until your mind is transformed, it's all good intentions and well-laid plans. We know that the battle is in your mind. If you've made the New Year's resolutions, you know that until your mind is transformed, you probably won't lose that 20 pounds. (laughs) You know that getting up at 5 o'clock every morning and going to the gym is not going to work until your mind is ready, until your mind is transformed and you say, I'm actually going to do this, and your mind is in the right mindset. You're not going to be more adventurous and be more spontaneous. Sorry, I get it all mixed up. Spontaneous. I was spontaneity is spontaneous about that word. But until your mindset changes, until you break out of I'm going to do the same thing every day, until your mind changes and is transformed, that's not going to take place. And the point is, both spiritually and physically, that we must understand that transformation is intentional, physically and spiritually. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 is not something that takes place on accident. I do not wake up and all of a sudden my mind is transformed and I am not conformed to this world. It is not something that just takes place because, uh, uh, in just the natural course of life because I know that my heart is evil. I know that my heart wants to deceive me. But if I want transformation in my life, I must be intentional about allowing God to transform me in my life. Not conforming to this world is an intentional act. It's not just an abstract idea that happens. It's a conscious act of the will and of the mind becoming transformed into that state to turn a world upside down. Psalms 112 and 7 says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Psalms 57, 7 says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Fixed means to be stable, to be established, to be firmly prepared. It's also translated to be ready. That I am ready when evil things come my way. So I will trust in the Lord. I will be ready when it's difficult to praise God. My heart will already be fixed in the tough times. My heart will already be established so that I can praise God when I need to. You understand that praise doesn't just happen. You've entered church plenty of times. You've been in circumstances plenty of times. And you know that praise is not always the natural response to what is going on. But my heart, when it is fixed upon praise, when it is established, when I have prepared my heart, then when that happens, I can lift my hands and say, Lord, in the middle of this circumstance, I praise you. My heart, my mind are fixed upon you, Lord. And we find Paul and Silas causing a stir in the city of Thessalonica. We find them disrupting the city there. We find Jason and those others being drugged before the Roman rulers. And we find these men called those that have turned the world upside down. Upside down in this phrase is combined with the word have turned. So they have turned the world upside down is one phrase and it's a verb. It's something that takes place. It's an action that happens. 
And I, I don't think I need to spend too much time telling you that I think our world needs turned upside down. We live in a culture that promotes things against the Word of God. We live in a culture whose attitudes are anti-God. We live in a culture that celebrates immorality. We live in a culture that condones unrighteousness. We need uh, something to turn in our world. We need something to turn within our culture. We need something to turn within our attitudes. What this world needs is turned upside down. Something must happen. We understand that. We know that. And it's interesting about the phrase turned upside down. That that phrase, you know, a lot of times when they're comparing and, and figuring out from the Greek which word means what, that they would look to, to secular literature to find out how it was used. But that phrase turned upside down is not found in any other secular literature from that time. It is only found in Scripture. And that lets me know that that turning upside down is not something that I can will. It is not something that I can legislate. No, it is something spiritual that must take place within our world. It is something spiritual which must happen to every single man. And I want you to understand that, that, that while we can uh, uh, be, celebrate appointing of political offices and legislations being overturned and elections seeming to go one way or the other, or financial port, support being given from things or given to things, what this society needs and we know and understand is something spiritual to happen to it. That we can't elect enough people for some Something to happen that needs to happen in our society and culture. We can overturn everything that we think is wrong and anti-God, but that doesn't mean our culture will be turned upside down. No, we must have something spiritual take place. We must have something spiritual happen in this world. And I realize that I get that through prayer. I realize I get that through the Word of God. I realize that the world needs the gospel more than anything else. The turning this world needs can only happen through spiritual means. That's why we are commanded in Scripture to pray for our leaders. And I understand that as Americans we have certain privileges and responsibilities, but Scripture commands me to pray for my leader because God knew that what our world would really need are spiritual changes, are things that take place in the world that we may not even be able to see, but that's where the world can be turned upside down. And so this is what is taking place. We, we, we're kind of jumping around here a little bit, but we're going to pull this together. But I believe that something in this uh, early church, we see that, and, and there's numbers, you can't get an exact number going from hundreds of thousands to upwards of a million people within the first hundred years of Christianity. But I believe that as the gospel was spread, that something had to happen that was greater than just as something that gets more in detail than the world being turned upside down. Because I believe inside each believer's life, there, there is a point that we must get to. That there is a point that we have to get to in our life before the world will ever look and say they have truly turned the world upside down. And to put it quite simply, and I've been challenged by this myself, is to turn a world upside down. There's something that must happen. I must be turned upside down. <laughs> to turn a world upside down, I must be turned upside down. 
You see, because I believe, I, I, I know at the moment of conversion that our lives are transformed. I know that there's something radical that takes place when we come to an altar and we leave our old sinful lives behind. But in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, when it speaks of my mind being transformed, it is not a one-time thing that it refers to. It is a continual action that that word refers to. And so I realize that throughout my life, there are more moments where I will have to be transformed in my life. I realize that one time at an altar is not enough transformation, but I might have to continually be transformed in my life. And if you've lived for the Lord long enough, you know that the Lord likes to challenge us. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> He usually doesn't like to challenge us in small ways. <laughs> he likes to just throw big things in our way. And see, that's the point of transforming. It's transforming isn't just something small. It's something large. It's something where people notice. When something is transformed, you notice it. It's not just, well, I know there's something different with you there. No, there's something drastic that has taken place. Transform, transformation is not usually something small, but something pretty major. And so when I put that to my life, that means that there will be moments in my life, throughout my life, when there will be major changes that take place in my life. Change, the other dirty word. We find an example of this whole thing taking place about transformation and salvation and there being this separation. We find an example of this in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Ra no, don't raise your hand. <laughs> thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now I find this story very interesting for a number of reasons, and it continually challenges me. Because we find that he comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved? Understand that Jesus has been confronted throughout his ministry by a number of smart alecks, like myself. Well, Jesus, what would you do about this? Huh? You know those people that come up with all the hypothetical situations? And they come to him and try and trip him up. But we find here, this is not one of those men. He comes to him and he says, good master. He's not saying it tongue in cheek. He is honestly asking Jesus, what do I need to do here to be saved? And Jesus says, if you will enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. And he's concerned enough to say, which commandments should I keep? Now we've heard... That there, we, we know that there were commandments of men. We heard a message preached about it before Christmas. We, that there were commandments of men which had come into place. And there were commandments of God. Do I follow all that the religious rulers have, have said that I need to do? Or do I follow what the law says that I need to do? Which commandments 
should I follow? And Jesus says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie about people. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy says, I've done all of those. Now let me just say, that's quite a list. We won't ask for people now. He starts out with murder. You know, I always go to that extreme when I'm talking about bad things. I always talk about the axe murders. So don't do any murder. He's like, okay, I got that. Don't commit adultery. It's like a progression. Thou shalt not steal. Don't lie and gossip about people. Now we're starting to get a little closer to home. Honor your father and mother. Uh Uh-oh. And then that easy one, love your neighbor as yourself. And who's my neighbor? Your enemy. So treat everyone real good. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's quite a list. Honestly, I'd be happy if this guy was in church. I'd be like, that's a good guy right there. He doesn't do bad stuff. He treats everyone real good. And we see him as this pathetic loser. And this is a young man. So this is, not, this is a guy, he's a young guy, and he is looking to do right in his life. He sincerely approaches Jesus and says, I've been trying to do all that I need to do. What do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, you need to do all this stuff. And he says, I've done that since I was a young man. He was a good saint. He was a faithful person. But there was something within the man. Jesus did not tell this man. This guy was sensitive enough and spiritual enough to realize that even though he was doing all of these things, there was something still missing in his life. Now that's challenging. Because Jesus doesn't say, you're missing something in your life. This man says, I'm missing, there's something that is lacking in my life. In fact, that phrase, to turn upside down, means to stir up, to unsettle, to excite. I think that sometimes what we're feeling is our own life trying to be turned upside down as what's inside of us, just like this man. Yes, we're doing what we know is right, and we're coming to church, and we're giving, and, and we're helping here and doing this, but there's still something inside of us that says there's still something more. There's something I have to push for. There's something that I have to possess. And Jesus tells him, he says, if you will be perfect, now, we can get into this and we could uh, probably have a little debate about this, but I don't believe at this point this man's salvation is in question. And we can discuss that later, I guess, if you want, or if not, you can just disagree. But he says, if you want to be perfect, and if you've been in the James class or First and Second Peter, there's a word that comes up here that you will have heard in those classes Telios, which means that there is an end that God is pushing you towards. It simply means God has a purpose for your life. That He saved you for a reason. And everything that happens and that He does in your life is pushing you towards this word Telios, a perfect end. That if I live for God, if I follow God, then this is what I will accomplish in my life. And He says, if you want to reach that, Not salvation. If you want to reach the purpose that I have for you, then there's something more that has to happen. Your world needs turned upside down. Because it comes with the challenge now. 
And what a challenge it is. If you want to achieve what I have called you to do that goes beyond salvation and that does not demote or demean salvation whatsoever. But he says if you want to go beyond that, if you want to accomplish why I have saved you, if you want to do more than just obey commands in your life, if you want to step into something more, a new dimension, then there is something that needs to change in you. There is a world that needs turned upside down in your life. And I want you to think before we write this guy off, I want you to think about what he is asked to do. We know because of what Jesus asked him. Jesus went outside of every law. He went outside of everything that was written. He went outside of what the law said. He went outside of what the rabbis had taught and come up with on their own. And he said, I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he was rich. Now... I'm not really rich, and I would struggle with that. Before we write this guy off, if if God spoke to you right now and said, sell everything you have, how many of you would just uh, be like, absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Before we pile it on this guy, Jesus is asking him to do something drastic that is going to be life-changing. Jesus was not asking for an incremental change in his life. Small changes in this man's life. Give an extra 10%. Well, okay, we can talk about that, God. The reason we're more comfortable with incremental change, which we're kind of all right with that, is because usually with small changes in our life, it's usually reversible. It's easy to go back, and it still leaves us in control of a lot of things. And it doesn't really disrupt our previous patterns and the way that we lived before. But there are time, And there are times when small changes are enough, when God speaks to us and He nudges us, and we're just slightly going off course, and He says, no, I want you to do this just to correct course a little bit. And God speaks to us sometimes that way. But there's other times when deep change, when my world being turned upside down is needed to accomplish what God is stirring inside of us that I cannot achieve. I cannot quench that feeling that says, what lack I still? I can't quench it unless I do what God is challenging me to do. And understand that what Jesus was asking this man to do was not something that was physically impossible. It was not that he could not sell everything that he had. It's not that, 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 that it was something that was beyond the scope of what he was able to do. No, what God was challenging was his mindset. God was challenging something beyond the physical realm. It was something spiritual. It was something emotional. It was something within his mind. You see, really, his mind had to be transformed from one way of thinking to another way of thinking. He had spent a life accumulating whether it was through business, whether it was through an inheritance, but he had accumulated all of his life. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, your mind needs to be transformed to that of giving. You see, that's really what was at the core here. It wasn't that the man had too much and Jesus was a communist and he thought we should spread the wealth. It wasn't that Jesus was saying that you can't be rich and make it into heaven. No, he was saying the mindset that you have is what is stopping you from achieving what I want you to do in your life. 
And Jesus made him be intentional about the choice. He made him be intentional. It was not something small, but it was something transformational. When he would sell everything, people would notice the difference. When he sold everything, people would say, what happened to you? Because it was a transformation that was going to take place in his life. But that transformation had to happen to accomplish all that God wanted. You see, his world had to be turned upside down. His way of thinking had to be turned upside down before he could accomplish what God wanted him to. If I could say this without belittling at all, because I, if you know me at all, then I don't think you believe this to be true of me, and I would be against Scripture. But there comes moments in our life when God asks for me to give more than obedience and faithfulness. That's not to belittle obedience and faithfulness. Because God always calls me to be faithful. But there are moments when God looks down at me and says, I know you've kept all the commandments. I know you've done it from your youth. I know everyone knows you as a good guy. But there comes a moment when God may stir something inside of you and say faithfulness is not enough in your life. Obedience is not enough in your life. But I am calling you to something more. I'm calling you to something greater. You see, the challenge for us the challenge for us is we're happy being good Christians. We're happy being good Christians. That's just what this guy was. This was a great guy. You'd have been happy to sit next to him in church. You wouldn't have to be worried if he was teaching the youth class. You wouldn't have had to, if he was a chaperone, this was a good guy. But there came a moment when Jesus said, good's not good enough. If you want to be perfect, and see, we're talking to the church tonight, so this is not about what do I need to do to be saved. No, this is what I need to do to be perfect. We find that, of course, he walks away because turning your world upside down isn't easy. (laughs) Turning the world upside down, yeah, we've got the answers for that. But turning my world upside down, that's not easy. And you see, God could turn your world upside down. And sometimes He does turn our world upside down. And there's circumstances that I can't control. But let me tell you what, it's a whole lot more powerful when I willingly allow my world to be turned upside down. When I lose my job and my world's turned upside down, that's a little bit different than if God calls me to do something different and I purposely change what I'm doing. Acts continues this idea. Of something has to happen with me. In another familiar verse, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And while I get excited and I rejoice and I think about what's going to happen when Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole earth is touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I get excited thinking about what God has in store for the church, what God wants to do through His church, I cannot read that passage and forget the first phrase which everything hinges upon. It says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye and you. 
I think it's important for us to realize that something has to happen inside of me before anything can happen outside of me. <laughs> it has a colon there after that first phrase, and a colon is used to illustrate or expand upon a previous statement. It says you're going to get power when you get the Holy Ghost, and something's going to happen inside of you. And because something is happening inside of you, this is the outcome of something happening inside of you. Jerusalem won't be saved if it doesn't change you. Judea won't be saved unless something changes in you. Samaria and the rest of the world cannot be affected unless something changes inside of me by the power of the Holy Ghost. If I could put it in the parentheses of this message, the Holy Ghost has to turn me upside down first before it will turn the world upside down out there. And this is what I believe we find taking place in believers' lives in the early church during those first early years of the church. Their focus had shifted. Their mindset had shifted somehow. Something had taken place inside their mind. They were persecuted. They were uprooted. They were killed. And they were imprisoned. And yet every historian agrees with Scripture and that it was this very thing which caused such rapid growth within inside of Christianity. And for this to happen... Each person had to have a mindset that was changed. They had to have their thinking transformed first. Because it's easy to read the story afterwards. It's easy to look at people like the young ruler and place judgment upon him. It's easy to look at the early church and say, well, because of this and because of that. But let me tell you what, the same concerns still bothered them as it would bother you and I today. I don't know how you would react if your family was uprooted. Whatever job you had was just ripped from your hands and you were shipped off somewhere else. I tell you what my concern would be. It would be about money. It would be about finding a place to live. It would be about what we're going to eat today. It would be about what are my kids going to do. Same thing you'd be worried about. But I think the difference is, and I'll speak for myself rather than everybody else, the difference is, is that if that would happen to me, those would become my primary concerns. But for the gospel to spread, they had to have a transformed mind where it wasn't that they didn't care about their family, they didn't care about their job, they didn't care about where they lived, but there was something else that was paramount in their mind. Yes, they knew those things, but they also knew that my mind is transformed, that there's a gospel that I must spread, that there's revival that needs to take place. I believe their minds were transformed from one of an acquiring mindset or their minds were transformed from one of a survival mindset where we've just got to hunker down and survive. No, the gospel spread in the midst of it. No, people were used in the midst of it. And I'm not talking about Paul and Peter. I'm talking about people like Aquila and Priscilla who every time they moved, they had to figure out where do I get materials to build tents? How do I get new customers? And yet they still opened their house and they started church in their own home because there was a mindset that was different of yes these things are important but the gospel of Jesus Christ spreading the good news I've got to have my life transformed they faced all of these things and they saw them as opportunity they saw the gospel as being the driving force of their life And see, really, I think that's where our lives begin to deviate from theirs. It's not that we don't care about the gospel. It's not that we're not concerned about what needs to happen. But is the gospel, is revival the driving force 
of my life. Whatever situation I enter, is the gospel paramount in my mind? Does that mean I exclude everything else? No, because scripture backs up that you need to provide and you need to do all these things and they did those too. But I've got to change my mind so I'm not thinking about surviving. So I'm not just thinking about acquiring things. But I've got to see my world turned upside down if I want to see the world turned upside down. You see, I wonder sometimes if we don't see the world being turned upside down while our lives remain the same. I mean, what does upside down, when I say turn the world upside down, mean to you? What does that look like in your eyes? Does that mean that there's a political change? That certain laws are passed or revoked? Does that, does that mean your co-workers treat you better, that they cuss a little bit less? Does that mean that the news changes? Does that mean that drug overdose deaths stop? Does that mean that people just start being nicer to each other? Does that mean that immorality ends? Does that mean that war ends? Does that mean that poverty ceases? You see, I, I see all these things in my mind and everything is external. And I begin thinking that the world is what really needs a change. But I'm wondering if I don't need to change first. Because if the world's going to go up, let's just think about this in the physics realm. <laughs> if the world could turn up, well, it does. You could be in Australia. How about that? Let's just pretend we're in Australia. No. If the world turns upside down and you haven't turned first, guess what? You're going to be on the wrong side of the world. That's real deep there. Think about that as you go to sleep tonight. You'll have some weird dreams tonight. But probably in most of our eyes, a world being turned upside down looks like a stirring that takes place within the world. But for the world to notice, for the world to see something happening, for the world to feel itself being turned, I believe there has to be something turned upside down within the church and within me. It's impossible for the world to be turned upside down unless I am first. So the challenge is, is what does God want me to change? Because I'll be honest, I found myself probably in that exact same circumstance as the rich young ruler. Where you've come to church and you felt the spirit moving and you come to the altar. And you say, Lord, what would you have me do? And you're like, well, I'm not doing too bad. God says, don't kill anyone. You're like, okay, doing all right. I haven't lied about no one this week. Doing good. I've been pretty nice to people. But still, there's something inside of you. And let me just say that if, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, there should be something inside of you that stirs. You see, the problem is, is I know I'm not where I need to be. Hopefully, we can all agree that I'm not where I need to be. I won't even put you there. The problem is, is when God shows me what I need to be, I don't want to change to get there. And so as we get older, as, as God points things out in our life, and if we're honest with ourselves, we may even have moments that are just like the rich young ruler where we've walked away. Did we lose our salvation? No. Did we go hear Jesus speak again? We don't know what happens to that guy because the point is his story ends. We don't ever hear from him again. 
you know what, we could get to heaven and there's the rich young ruler. I don't know what happens to him. I don't know if he just forsook everything. I don't, I, we don't know what happened to him. But there's moments in my life when I felt God tell me to do something or change something. And I have not responded in the positive. And you know what happens? I come to church the next week. And you know what happens? I feel God. And you know what I think? I didn't think I'd feel Him if I didn't change. But I felt Him. So it must be all right. It must be okay. <laughs> what do I need to do to be perfect? God will still move. God will still touch. God will still speak to you. But what happens is it becomes easier over time. As the changes become harder, as we become more entrenched in life, as we have our families, as, as things begin to just as life takes its course, it becomes hard. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. It becomes harder to change, right? That's why if you're going to learn a foreign language, it's too late for all of us in here. No. <laughs> it becomes harder. It becomes harder to do and make a big change in my 30s and 40s than when I was 20 years old. When I was 20, I didn't have any concerns and cares. I thought my life was as hard as it would ever be. And I would just pull over on the side of the road when I was driving and tired and just sleep on the side of the interstate. Forget the rest area. What's that for? <laughs> That's not happening now. <laughs> I'd still do it, but, you know. Me and Cooper will sleep on the side of the interstate. <laughs> it's harder to change. But that stirring is still there. Amen. You see, revival is just an idea. It's just a concept. It's just an inspirational saying, just like the diet, the exercise, whatever it is, until my mind is transformed. I can talk about revival and how much I believe revival and how much God's going to do, but until my mind is transformed, it's all talk, it's all words, it's all nothing. I need God to transform my mind. But when I say that, I realize that I might have to change some things about how I think. I might have to change some things about how I operate because I want to do what God has called me to do. And I'm closing to turn upside down. I'm not closing to turn upside down. That's not what's going to happen at the end of this. But to turn upside down, that phrase comes from a root word which refers to people who are sitting, lying, or even dead. To turn upside down, it refers to people who are in a stationary position. It's an action which causes those people to rise up, to appear, to stand forth. That when I am turned upside down, when my mind is transformed and turned upside down, I'm no longer sitting, I'm no longer lying, or even perhaps dead. But now suddenly something inside of me rises up. It begins to appear to stand forth. And obviously this is not speaking merely of the physical, but I believe it speaks to our mindset. That my mindset needs to be transformed. My mindset needs to rise up to a different place. And as soon as I read that, it reminded me of Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. 
One commentator stated about this verse, this phrase, to awake out of sleep. He simply said, to awake out of stupid, fatal indifference to eternal things. I think I need to hear that sometimes in my life. That you are stuck on stupid, fatal, and you are indifferent to eternal things. I need my mind transformed. I need to awake out of the sleep. I need to arise up and see what God is doing. I need to awake out of the stupor that I can be in because life just has a way of monotony and putting me into like when you're driving in the snow and you just get lost. Sometimes life can do that to me. And I need God to shake me sometimes and say, what are you doing? Where's your mind at? All of the things that you say. and what? No, you need your mind transformed. And I'll turn Turn your world upside down if you'll let me. The music would come. Only transformed people can create a transformed church. Only a transformed people can create a transformed church. And only a transformed church can create a transformed world. So this world is really waiting on me. It's not waiting on this church, it's waiting on me. Only kingdom-minded people can create a kingdom-minded church. Only people with revival mindsets can create a church with a revival mindset. We can only change the world by changing ourselves first. That's why when we pray for revival, because our world has to be turned upside down, I think it's important that we pray for the courage to have revival. We must not be afraid of revival, which now takes on a new meaning in my life. When I realize that when I pray for revival, that probably means change in my life. Before it meant change in everybody else's life. God's going to change this community. God's going to change my neighbor. God's going to change my family. But what if first God wants to change you? Is revival still on the table then? Because remember, for my world to be turned upside down, it's probably not a small change. It's probably not give another dollar in the offering. It's probably something drastic. That's why we find the phrase, be strong and of a good courage. It's repeated continuously throughout the last chapter of Deuteronomy as Moses speaks his last words to the, to the children of Israel and to Joshua specifically. He says many times in that last chapter, be strong and of good courage. Does that mean God's not going to be with them? Does that mean God's not? No, no. But he knew that chains to enter the promised land, you're going to have to be strong to enter the promises of God. You're going to have to be courageous to enter into the promises of God. The first few chapters of Joshua is spent with God telling Joshua to be strong and of a good courage. And then Joshua goes to the leaders and tells them to be strong and of a good courage. And then all the people go, the leaders go to the rest of the people and tell them all to be strong and of a good courage. Why? Because to enter into that promised land required their world being turned upside down. We all think, man, promised land, great, wonderful. They've been wandering for 40 years. They were a bunch of gypsies. They'd run for 40 years, gone in a circle. They were going to have to change to enter the promised land. Suddenly, people that had just wandered would have to now suddenly fight. Now, we know what happened. The Lord fought for them, but they had to suddenly, well, where's, where's my sword? I haven't needed that for a while. They had to get themselves together, band together. There was going to have to be a change. A doubting nation would have to now be a nation of faith. 
They'd, had, they'd woke up every morning and gone outside and picked up manna. And that's what they ate every day. You know what happened? Three days after they got into, uh, one year and three days after they got to the promised land, no more manna. No more. What are they going to do for food now? Well, they had to learn how to farm. They haven't farmed for over 400 years, really. They've been slaves. They weren't allowed to farm. All, they, they had produced some crops, but no, that, that, no, their job was just to produce bricks and to build things. They'd been living in the desert. They hadn't farmed. No, they would have to change. They had to learn how to settle the land. They had to learn how to quit living in a tent and live in a house. Transformation, that's, that's some big changes that had to happen. And it's no less among us. Perhaps as we look at revival, perhaps we look at our lives. Maybe those who have been fed will have to learn how to feed. Maybe those who have been served will have to learn how to serve. Maybe those who have been on the fringe will suddenly have to learn what fellowship means. Those who have been encouraged might have to encourage now. Those who have been healed, maybe it's you that need to come and start praying for the sick. Those who have been taught for years, maybe it's your turn to teach. You see, these are the changes. It's a big change to sit there and then stand here. It's a big change to hear a song sung and then you be the one singing the song. It's a big change to go from sending your kids up to a Sunday school room to teaching that Sunday school class. But this... This is what God is calling us to. Maybe it's my world that needs to change first. Before the promised land can be entered, I've got to figure some things out. And tonight it's a call for those who are willing to be transformed. To those who are willing to have a transformed mindset. For those who are willing to be turned upside down. Why? Because our world deserves to be turned upside down. And if the world deserves it, then the least I can do is allow God to do what He wants in my life. 2019, I want to be intentional about revival. It's not going to be an accident. It doesn't come by accident. I want to be intentional about revival. I don't just want to talk about it. I just don't want to think about it. I just don't know. I, I just don't want to read about it. No, I want to allow my mindset to be transformed so that I can see revival take place. Because that's what I'm here for. That's what God has called us to do. Is to reach a community. To reach a city. And if we can't do it. If we won't do it. Then we're just obeying and following commands. Which is fine. And that's all, that's all good and well. But God has a purpose. God wants us to be perfect. God wants us to reach for more. God wants us to do more. And I want to be willing to do whatever it takes. I'm here to pull faithful saints. I'm here to pull faithful young people. I'm here to pull faithful young couples to a higher place. It doesn't mean that what you've been doing is wrong. It doesn't mean that you've been out sinning. But I'm here to challenge obedient followers to step into new places, into perfection that God is calling you to, into purposes that you've never been before, into places that you've never stepped before. God is challenging us. You know what I'm talking about. You feel something, that there's got to be something more, that there's a tug on your heartstring when something happens. That's what I'm talking about. God wants to work in that part of your life if you'll let him. And I'm here to call to those who are brave enough to ask God the same question the young ruler asked. Lord, I haven't killed anyone yet. 
I'm not lying about too many people. I'm even being pretty nice to my neighbors. But I'm calling to the courageous that can ask the question, Lord, what do I lack? Lord, what's still missing? What's still missing? I know I'm, I know I'm reading the Word. I'm, I'm trying to do what's in there. I'm trying to live right. As John says, your habit is to walk in the light that you're trying to do good things. That's who I'm talking to, but there's still something there. And it's that point when I say, Lord, what do I lack? And then to have the courage to say, Lord, I know you're going to ask for something big. Lord, when I ask what I'm lacking, I know it's going to be something big. But Lord, I want to have the courage to follow you into the promised land. Lord, I want to have the courage to have my mind transformed as we stand tonight. I believe that I'm preaching to people that are enough spiritually aware that over the last several months, you felt something. I believe that. Because it's in the atmosphere. Something is changing, something's happening, and I believe that you have felt that. I've felt it in my own life. To say, Lord, what, what, what is it There's just... I can't put my finger on it. It's just something there. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the rich young ruler felt. He said, there's just still something there. That yes, I'm coming to church. I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing. But God, there's something there. I tell you, what I really need is my mind transformed. See, that's why I can't figure it out. Because I don't have that mindset yet. But when God gives me that mindset, suddenly I'll begin to see and it doesn't mean that my job's not important. Read, read the New Testament. Look, look at the end of all the books that Paul writes. All those names that you don't know anything about. They had families. They had jobs. Not everyone traveled like Paul and churches gave them money. Well, what are you saying? I should just quit and go and... No. Read all those people that Paul says, say hi to so-and-so and say hi to so-and-so and say hi to them. That's all the people. That's all the people that caused revival. Right there. That's all the people that had a transformed mindset that said, you know what? I, I don't know what's going on. We've been shipped off to this new place. I don't know what's happening. I got a family and I got all this, but you know what? I think I could start a house group. I know I don't have a job. I know we're in a rough shape, but you know what? I could start a house group. I could go talk to somebody. That's what I'm talking about. That's where revival happens is in those moments. I want us to pray right now. I want us to pray that the Lord would challenge us. I want to be challenged. Because this world deserves for me to be challenged. This community deserves my life to be turned upside down so that it can be turned upside down. Oh, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come before you right now, God.